Welcome to the Converge Challenge podcast. This is a show about ideas. It's about ideas that are created by problems, from little personal niggles right up to worldwide issues. It's about ideas which solve them, that come from research, from learning, or just from personal experience. It's about how those ideas turn into action. Actions that put that solution in the hands of real people. A solution that makes a difference to their lives. That's how businesses are created, from problem to solution, and a big idea on the way. And this series is going to tell the story of four people that took that journey. The story of how they came up with their own big ideas, and how they put them into action, creating a business for themselves. I'm Colin Gray, and I founded my own business in 2012, helping people create shows just like this, and I've always been fascinated by that entrepreneurial journey. So my mission is to learn how our four solution makers did it, from their mistakes right up to their big wins, everything they learned in starting up. And over the next four episodes, we'll cover all of that. They'll show you how to follow in their footsteps if you've got your own big idea. So this is where it starts, the infamous idea. There's a lot of weight put on this, rightly or wrongly. So how do these ideas form? Is it just a flash of inspiration or can anyone do it? So when I first came up with the idea, I just heard that my neighbour had been attacked in the, the, the building where I live. This is Rebecca Pick from Pick Protection. It's a company that creates and sells personal alarm devices. She'd gone to take her bin out, wasn't even late, and there was somebody hiding in there. So he dragged her in. She was shouting and screaming and she heard people walking past and nobody stopped to help. So it was sort of a light bulb moment that I thought we should all have something on us that we know if we activate, we will get a response. I thought there must be a way of, instead of monitoring a building, monitoring a person. Next, we've got Adam Brown, who runs Bellrock Technology. They knew that energy companies have a ton of data, but they struggled to find out how to use it to plan for the future. I guess the first idea that led to Bellrock probably happened uh, with my business partner in 2008. Stephen encountered this challenge time and time again, uh, working with companies like SSE, EDF Energy, National Grid, Scottish Power, so on and so forth. Now, Bellrock offers a product which helps those companies with a bit of AI assistance to draw the really important insights out of their data. That means better planning and more success. Next up, we've got Chris Leyburn, who runs Chromacity. Now, they're in a pretty interesting area, lasers, and they supply them to companies that use them for all different sorts of measurements. Yeah, so um, I did uh, my PhD at St Andrews, building and designing ultra-short pulse lasers. I applied for a position in Norway, um, north of the Arctic Circle, uh, which my wife thought was very brave uh, or foolish. And during that interview process, uh, a job came available here at Harriet Watt. So I grabbed that opportunity, since it's slightly closer to home, and started working with Professor Derek Reed in his ultra-short pulse laser research group. He had another postdoc in the group who was developing fibre lasers. And it's out of that research that the three of us started to come up with the idea of spinning out. So for Chris, it was an area he'd been in for years. The way he told it, it almost seemed like a natural progression from where they were, rather than a flash of an idea. Finally, we've got Suzanne from MindMate. 
Her company runs an app designed to help keep your brain active in old age and stave off problems like Alzheimer's or dementia. So the idea um, of MindMate came up um, while I was in, in grad school um, at Glasgow University studying uh, Master of Science in International Management and Leadership. And it was during the uh, Enterprise Pathway competition um, initiated by the University of Strathclyde. But, um, you know, I think every university in Glasgow was involved as well. And there I met Patrick um, and Roger, my two co-founders, and the challenge was to come up with something, um, you know, in the healthcare space. And Roger cared for seven years for his grandfather with Alzheimer's. Um, Patrick worked for seven months in a nursing home in, in Germany. And myself, I have aging parents in their late 60s. So sometimes it's actually a combination of skills that make an idea obvious, or it's an environment that gets you thinking about a particular sector, like the competition Suzanne mentioned. Ideas don't always have to come from a flash of brilliance or creativity. They can be inspired by the context you're in or the people you're around. In fact, much more often than not, that's exactly where they do come from. And in that situation, anyone can have a great idea. In the same way, it doesn't matter what stage you're at, you can start a business anytime. Whether you're a student. I was at university, I was at Strathclyde studying marketing and enterprise. So it fitted quite nicely that with my degree that I wanted to do something in business. Whether you're a researcher. I was working at the University of Strathclyde. I was a researcher there working in the electrical and electronic engineering department. Uh, and we were researching approaches to data analytics for the power industry. Or a professor like Chris Leyburn's partner. In fact, Derek, I remember the day Derek Reed came into my lab and said, um, how would you think about spinning out the technology? And I said, I'm game for a laugh. Of course, it's not just you in the picture. It can be scary telling your family that you're thinking about taking a risk on your own business. I first of all said to my wife, um, look, we're exploring this opportunity. Um, we don't know where it's going to lead. Could lead to a spin-out company, could lead to something uh, more license-related. We don't know, but if it goes down the spin-out company route, what do you think? And she said, that sounds really exciting, that sounds great, you should go for that. I said, do you know what that means? Because <laughs> what we're probably saying is for the next five years at least, we're going to be focused on building a business. And everything else that we've talked about might just have to go on hold. Um, and she actually said, do you know, it sounds really exciting. sounds like a good opportunity. Do it. Do it. And yeah, I'll back you. And she has. She's been fantastic. My family, of course, were, were really supportive. And my dad worked in the security industry. So he was really important for getting all the, the information that I needed at the start. So mm -hmm. very supportive. I think they were quite happy because I had a job offer from McKinsey. And, you know, specifically McKinsey, you have to work 100, 120 hours per week. You are away, you know, like every week you are at a different place. And I think uh, stress levels are a lot higher. That I did not went the path of uh, becoming a consultant was a very well received. Suzanne says it well there. There's risks no matter what you do. Whether it's a job like that that works you to the bone or whether it's just an average academic position. I'd tried to climb the academic ladder um, 
by you know securing a permanent position but they're extremely difficult to come by so this opportunity here um, seemed like a, a very exciting venture my wife was very supportive she, she was along the same lines as me saying look you're on fixed term contracts as, lo as long as the money's coming in um, there's, I, I don't mind what you can do I'll, I'll fully support you whatever you want to do which is fantastic I'm very lucky I guess when I spoke to my parents about it they were probably a wee bit less sure. They are very risk-averse people, um, and the idea of stepping out of a, a job at a university, you know, from very secure salary, um, pension schemes, all the rest of it that, that goes with that type of post. Are you sure about this? <laughs> you know, it was a very different conversation, but uh, they were supportive. They were really supportive. So the idea's there in your head. It's been brewing for a while. Now you think it's good, but how do you test it in the real world before you really jump into it? I think from doing um, marketing and enterprise at university, I had a really good idea that before you can have a business, it needs to be three things. It needs to be technically feasible, it needs to be desirable, and it needs to be viable, so commercially viable to build a business around it. So I started with number one, is it desirable? did a load of market research to who at the time I thought was my target market um, and got an overwhelming response that actually there is a huge demand for a product like what I wanted to create in the market. So that was the first one ticked off. And then is it technically feasible? I did a load of research into uh, Bluetooth technologies and into alarm receiving centers that monitor uh, loan worker solutions. So that kind of ticked it off that yes, we could actually achieve this. And then thirdly, I started to build up a business case. So looking at pricing, looking at suppliers and the revenue streams and how it would all come together to really decide whether it was a viable business that we could take forward. For Rebecca, that's the three steps in deciding whether to start a business. That third one is the one a lot of people miss as well. It doesn't matter how desirable a product is, or how easy it is to make, if you can't figure out a way to sell it for less than it costs to make, then it's not going to work. In Rebecca's case, she got through this pretty quickly, but sometimes it's a long process, as Adam found. It was about a two-year project that was really within the, the university, testing ideas, um, building some really early stage tech, and then taking that out into the market. So that was my first real encounter, I guess, with going and having business meetings, you know, going and actually talking to the end customer, the end user about, look, we've had this idea, here's a, a wee demo that we've put together. Do you think this is something that you could use within your business? This is another bit a lot of people miss, actually talking to customers. Now find people in the market you'll sell to and really talk to them. It's amazing how often you find out that things you assumed were correct actually aren't. Real people are unpredictable, but they're also real people and relationships matter. Building relationships so that later on you can come back to these people and say, do you remember I had that conversation? We've gone away and done that. We've built this according to what we think you need. Maybe we should have a more in-depth chat about how this could help your company. But it's by that point, you've maybe built a bit of credibility with them. Suzanne talked about this too. In building an app, they did the early work validating the concept but how did they begin testing which features people really wanted? It was to you know, create an MVP, a minimum viable product, and then get as much user feedback as we could. Um, so we involved very early um, the Alliance, um, which is a charity in the 
you know, mental health space and they also have a dementia group. This was like really the, the very first step to get like initial user feedback very early. So emphasizing how important user feedback is again. Remember though, one of the biggest mistakes that founders make when talking to customers time and again. Everyone does this. As a tech company starting up, you want to talk about your tech. And you want to talk about how special it is and how clever it is and how different it is to everyone else. That's not what the, the market or the, the industry users want to hear. They yeah. just want to hear how you're solving the problem. How you're solving the problem. And what the problem is, of course. That's what customers want to know. But it's also what business competitions and awards are looking for. Not the tech itself, but what it does for the market. Talking of competitions, it's worth knowing too that user feedback gives you a huge credibility boost, whether it's Converge, Edge, an enterprise fellowship or otherwise. If you can show you've validated the idea with real people, whether just talking them through the idea or showing them an MVP, it shows you've done your homework. And that ticks a big box in the mind of any judge. There's no question this can be scary stuff. I mean, how do you figure out how feasible your idea is? How do you start to approach customers or suppliers? What goes into a good application? Can you get a bit of money to build your MVP? It's a bit of a maze, especially coming right from uni or academia. There's a whole world of business jargon out there just waiting to spin your head. Have no fear though, there's help out there. Rebecca told me about the support she found particularly useful for students. I think there are two organisations that for me at the start were really important and firstly it was the Scottish Institute for Enterprise and I went there first because I, I used to work for them, I was one of their interns at Strathclyde so I knew all about their competitions that they provided, their business advisors and all the different support that they offered so they were my, my kind of first stop and it was amazing help that really kind of got me up and running with my first iterations of a business plan. We also got lots of support from University of Glasgow and specifically Marion Anderson, who is the Enterprise Manager at um, Glasgow University and also Josh Sauter of Strathclyde University. They helped us to really navigate um, you know, the Scottish landscape. We were then involved uh, with uh, SIE, Scottish Institute for Enterprise, um, participated in the Young Innovators Competition. And then we were very early also involved with Converge Challenge. Um, also, Scottish Edge helped us. Yeah, these are the main players. If you're a researcher or an academic, though, there's plenty of options for you too, as Chris and Adam discovered. And so I applied for uh, Royal Society of Edinburgh Enterprise Fellowship, which is a one-year scheme specifically dedicated to teach the academic to stop thinking like an academic and start thinking like a business person. Uh, we also secured an internal pot of money through an impact acceleration award, which allowed Derek to develop the technology from within his research group, whilst I developed my business skills through the um, Enterprise Fellowship. When Stephen worked out this, this uh, challenge and this idea back in 2008, he actually first took it to Scottish Enterprise. Um, they supported us through a proof of concept project, which I got involved with as a research assistant at that stage. Adam mentions there one of the more traditional support teams out there, Scottish Enterprise. Now, they can offer some great support for bigger projects. For the smaller ones or for individuals, though, Business Gateway are a great first stop. And they can often point you towards other local schemes, from maybe funding pots to mentors. Now, talking of funding, 
cash is definitely a barrier. People say that you don't really need a lot of money to, to start a business. You can do it on a shoestring, you can bootstrap. And I think that's, that is very true. But even things like getting people to participate in a survey, if you can add like a 10 pound Amazon voucher to get them to participate, you will get a much higher uh, rate of return. Things like prototyping, if you can pay £100 to get a 3D printed prototype of what you're doing, cash really does help to move things along quite quickly, even if it's not a, you know, an extremely large budget, you just need something uh, as a token to give to people that, that will help to progress your idea further. So SIE did um, offer me my first amount of money that I got from them, which was a competition where I won £2,500, and that really was the absolute start, it allowed me to pay designers that created uh, just drawings of what my alarm device would look like. And that was the first time I had something tangible that I could go and show people and say, this is what I'm working on. And it just, it helped so much because people really took it a lot more seriously than when I had nothing to show them. Rebecca says it well there. It's possible to start with nothing, but a bit of funding doesn't half help speed things along. We've mentioned a few already. You've got SIE, Scottish Edge, Enterprise Fellowship, or local funding through the Business Gateway, and of course, Converge. So how did our four end up applying? Yeah, SIE definitely led into Converge in that from the start of working with SIE, kind of started to build a business plan. It was sort of coming into place. And the next step was Converge Challenge, which I think is a slightly more further along business kind of category that they, they help. We thought it would be a good opportunity to stress test the business models and some of the ideas around the business. And you know, if, if more came of it, then all the better. I think, again, it was it was the cash prize that you know you could win a lot of money. Looking back at the journey though, I think that was not the most important part of it that I got out of it at all, because there is so much added value. I think Marion Anderson told us <laughs> about um, Converge Challenge that, um, you know, she has experience that specifically the three-day uh, business training of Converge Challenge um, is like really helping people. And this is uh, what grasped also our attention. Both of us, you know, didn't have a clue where to start. And the Converge Challenge really helped us in understanding that you need to consolidate your ideas into a business plan. You need to think about the financials, the financial implications of what it means to put that business plan together, how much money you'd expect to make through the company. And so the, the Converge Challenge really forced us to go, right, okay, let's spend the weeks that we need to spend on putting this together. So that's what we did. So that's what they did. That's what they all did. It's funny that, no matter the backstory, the catalyst, the end result, they just did it. Anyone can, including you. It's just down to taking those first steps. And if you need a bit of help with that, the Converge team are there for you. Nip over to convergechallenge.com to find out a bit more about the application process and how you can speak to the team about your idea. And we've got a lot more for you on the show too, of course. This episode was all about the beginnings, how it started, on the next episode, we'll be looking at what they learned once things started moving, including one of the most scary bits of starting a business, the pitch. It's something everyone's got to learn from pitching customers to investors and our four problem solvers will tell you all they learned about it. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so that you get future episodes automatically. Just search Converge Challenge on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
And if you really enjoyed it, I'd really appreciate a review in the same place. Think of it as good karma. Every little helps if you're jumping into a business idea. The show was created by thepodcasthost.com for the Converge Challenge. So many thanks to our intrepid entrepreneurs who provided the advice and the stories on this episode. You heard Adam Brown, Chris Leyburn, Suzanne Mitchk and Rebecca Pick. And the show was narrated by me, Colin Gray. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next one.